Right, can we turn to Exodus chapter 33, verse 7 to 11? Uh, please stand for the reading of God's word. Now hear not the word of the Lord. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord uh, spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, uh, did not leave the tent. Um, this is the word of the Lord. Something feels different, huh? <laughs> We've uh, decided to change some of the order in our worship schedule, worship order, I should say, and we want to bring some more elements into the service, so things might be a little confusing at first. Even the people that are supposed to be up here sometimes forget, but I think we're going to get our gears going, and it's going to smooth out. In the end, people already asking, I was going to mention it anyway, but people are already asking, wait, what does Catholic mean in our um, Apostles' Creed? Why do we say ghost? Is God a ghost? And so when we were doing the Apostles' Creed, I know some of us have grown, grown up in youth group, and youth group, we change the words a little. So I was really thinking, do we change the words at all? So if you go to another church, you'll read it exactly like this, and sometimes churches tweak it a little bit. But I wanted to get to the original and then kind of explain why we do that. Ghost is, means the same thing as spirit, so interchangeable. It's fine if you say spirit as well, but the word spirit wasn't used until post-King James time. So if, you, if you're super old-fashioned, no one's old enough but there was only the King James Version, and that is when they always refer to the Holy Spirit as Holy Ghost. That's why you see Holy Ghost. And Catholic doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. It means universal. So Catholic is interchangeable with universal. So instead of saying universal church, we say Catholic Church because it also means all-encompassing. God is God over all of his church. So in youth group in this church, we say Christian church. It doesn't have the same meaning. So if you say the Holy Christian Church, it doesn't have the, quite the same meaning as a Holy Catholic or the Holy Universal, Holy All-Encompassing Church. So that's why we say Catholic now. So I just wanted to bring back the original and have a teaching moment for one minute. We've also had um, some nice other elements that I've really liked. But I want to review that in the beginning of our services when we're going to have our announcements, 
Also, I wanted a nice bulletin board all the way in the back of the sanctuary. And you'll have a nice bulletin board. So in case there's any sign-ups, it'll be plastered up in the back. Any new announcements, the calendar. So if you're interested in our church, you'll just go to the back, to the rear, right in front of the pastor's office. And you'll see a nice big bulletin board with all the announcements and all the things that are going on. Because we have a lot of things going on, don't we? And sometimes we can be overwhelmed. If one person has to say everything, then we kind of just drown it out. Like, oh. And then you'd ask, oh, I didn't know we were having this. Was it for me? But the answer is yes, it's for you. And we are having it. We are having one of the biggest changes I think we're going to do this year is we're going to have our morning prayers at 8 a.m. Um, on Saturdays. So we want as many people to come 8 a.m. to pray for the church, pray for everything that's going on, and also pray for yourselves. I think there is a special just anointing when the people of God gather to pray. So we can do it in our own homes, and I, I recommend that you do that as well. When you wake up, the first thing that we should do is pray. And all our great leaders, not just Christian leaders, leaders, you read their journals. They got up early in the morning to pray. And then they started out their day. And so we want to also do that corporately. Saturday, 8 a.m., we're going to gather to pray. We're going to start our Bible study. It's going to be on the book of Mark and our newcomer's luncheon. So if you've only been here for a few months, you want to get to know people, I've realized after service, the decibel level in the foyer area is like 120. I think I've gotten a little deaf because I stand there in the back. So we're going to specially make an area. So if you're a newcomer, if you've only been coming here for a few months, you want to meet people, you want to meet and talk with me, you have questions like, why would you say that? That'll be a nice open space. It's going to be next Sunday. And if you're interested in joining a community group, a small group, we have sign-ups as well in the back. And so all these things are going on in our church, and I hope that we're paying attention because things are moving because God is moving. This is what we firmly believe. And since God is moving, we have to follow. And that's why we go into this story here. When God moved, the Israelites packed up their things and they moved. And when God stopped, the Israelites set up camp. They pitched their tents and they remained until God moved again. And I'm not saying, oh, I think in, we had our retreat this past weekend. I'm not saying we should always physically wait until God moves. But I am saying God is already moving. It's time for us to move. It's time for us to pack up and go. Pack up your tents and we're going to start moving. We believe God has been moving in our church in an amazing way. And Pastor Richard had spoken on our retreat. If you were there, you were able to listen to it. I think we were able to get his final sermon on tape. So if you want to listen to it, you could always check out our website. And if you were there, I'm sure you were blessed too. Um, and then people have come up to me and said, you know, did you, did you talk to him? Multiple people, not just one. Um, did you talk to him? Did you tell him about our church or what to say? And usually a pastor does. Usually if we have a retreat speaker, you'd have a conversation and be like, this is what our church is going through. This is what we need to kind of hear. This is our stage. So would you speak on that? But for this retreat, I decided not to do that. 
I decided um, this is this is this is normal. Um, I wouldn't do it again, but <laughs> decided maybe we'll just focus on prayer. I'll pray for the speaker. I'll pray for Pastor Richard. I pray that God would anoint his lips. And I really had this conviction to do that this time. So I didn't say, say this to our church. This is what we're going through. Can you preach on this? In fact, we always have a theme. Ask our retreat committee. We always have a theme and say, and told the speaker, come preach on this theme. This is what we'd like to hear about. But this year we didn't. We said, what would you like to preach about? We want to pray for you. So I was praying for him and he chose a passage, and if it hit home for you, if it convicted you, if you were offended by it, then know that it's probably the Spirit of God convicting our hearts because we are his church. He loves us, and so he preaches. When the, when the message comes out, it hits the listener's hearts. And so that's where we were, and now we're back on Sunday um, some of you weren't there. Once again, I just want to encourage you, listen to that last sermon on Gideon, and then you'll see, like, Gideon was an idiot. And you'd wonder why anybody would name their son Gideon. <laughs> I hope he listens to this, seriously. He's going to be so mad. There's one time I did um, this uh, cheesecake motion, and he hated me literally for about a few months. But the point is... Why would you name your son anything or a daughter anything in the Bible? Why would you name your son Peter? Peter literally denied Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He saw and ate with Jesus. He saw every single miracle he did. And when the time came to him saying, yes, I know who Jesus is, he said, no, I don't know this man. And he threw down curses on himself saying, I don't know this man cursing. And we love naming our kids Peter. You know? The point is, and if you were at the retreat, you know it. Everybody fails. You guys, everybody fails. But there is one that is faithful. One that has ever remained faithful even through our failures. And that is God. God does not fail. And God will not fail this church because this church is his. So don't look to a person Look to the Lord. And because we look to the Lord, then these things make more sense. Then we can serve our pastors. Then we can serve our deacons. We can serve as a pastor and as a deacon because we look to the Lord. And that service is totally different than if you do not look at the Lord. The Israelites, I believe, are very, very similar to the way we act because we're all human we all have similar characteristics and so there was grumbling in the camp there was change remember we needed to pack up and go change is coming so what happens in the camp there's grumbling there's bitterness there's complaining mind you this was a people that saw amazing things that God did in in his, among his people, he did amazing things. Amazing things that actually have not been done before or after they were done. And they witnessed it. And then when it came down to it, when things got a little tough, grumbling started to occur. Bitterness started to develop. Complaining started to, 
just permeate throughout the camp. Before I talked about how we need to gather, that's step one. Step one is we need to start gathering. We need to start meeting. Go to small groups. Come out to, obviously you're all here on Sunday worship, but we need to gather to pray. Saturday, we need to gather. But after we gather, here's what we see. We see a picture of a people that are in pain. Bitterness has come in. Complaining comes in. People aren't satisfied. People don't know what's going on. And then you see the Lord is angry. The Lord is upset. The Lord is so upset that he is telling the people now, I just want you to go. I'll give you what you promised. I want you to go, but I'm not going to go with you. And we're at that point. I want you to go. I'll give you what you want, but I'm just not going to go with you. So if we look at this passage, we can see a minimum, a minimum of three things that I'll point out this afternoon. We see inquiry, we see presence, then we see worship. Inquiry, presence, and worship. One more time. Bad things can and they will happen when we gather. But gathering is step one. Because I must contend that bad things will happen whether you gather or not. You can't blame the gathering for the bad things that are happening. Well, that rhymed. Okay, but you can't do that. Bad things will happen. Why? Because sin is present. When people gather, sin is there. So you will have a collision, you will have conflict, and dare I say, you won't agree with the person next to you. You won't like how they sing or even smell. Especially if you have a sensitive nose, you won't like how people smell. Last night, uh, I was very blessed because there was a time where uh, people gathered around me and then they prayed. And I must say, I must have smelled so many different foods from everybody's mouths while they were praying. And it was amazing. It was like, you know, if, if it was a Korean dish, it's Cheonggukjang. It's crazy. Um, but then I think, I think God has given me a lot of grace. I used to be very sensitive to things like sound or smell. But I honestly, as I was praying, I was smelling these things like, oh, this is someone's chili uh, but I was smelling these things, and I was thinking, it's kind of similar. Um, to God, it becomes fragrant, because this is what we can lift up. This can be kind of like, you know, just small. It's not even that fancy. We bring what we can, but we give it to God. And when we lift it up, God actually deems it wonderful, and he receives it. And to me... I realized, wow, this is incredible grace that God is giving us. Because if he wanted the best songs, you know, he'd only ask like two people to ever sing and everybody, shh, don't sing. And they'd be like, oh, don't sing, right? If he wanted the best smells, we'd all be wearing some weird deodorant, right? It's just, it's not like that. But there is an intermingling and when we mingle and we lift it up to God, God says, this is fragrant to me. And I love it, and I receive it. That's how I felt last night. So when this was happening, and everybody was, everybody was very, very distraught, 
He said, take off your ornaments. Don't even dress nice because this is despicable. This is detestable to me. And people were mourning. They took off their ornaments. Like, God's not going to go with us? And so there was a place where we could do inquiry, where the people could do it. They pitched a tent of meeting. And scholars have it that this tent of meeting was about 1,000 yards away. 1,000 yards. A A football field is like 100 yards. So think of it as 10 football fields away. You're in this encampment. We're We're encamped, and then now we have to meet God. It's 10 football fields away from us. And it goes to show that God is so worthy, so holy, so much more holier than we are that we can only, only think, wow, we aren't worthy. That must have been the first thing on people's minds. But it will also show us that if we want an inquiry, if we want to receive something, if we want to ask God something, what is the most obvious thing? We need to go out of ourselves. The answer is not in us. The world will continue to tell you the answer is in you. Look inside yourself. Feel good about yourself. And then you hit this block. And what will, what's the answer then? Once you hit that block, the answer is, oh, just keep on trying harder. The answer is still, you're not doing well. So it's, it's kind of contradicting itself now. It's like you did look in yourself, and now people are saying you didn't look in yourself enough. So you need to look harder. So I'm going to tell you how to look inside yourself because the way you're looking inside yourself isn't good enough. And so now we're living in this like limbo of what to really believe. But the honest truth is if you want an answer that you don't have, we have to look outside ourselves. The answer isn't in us. So the inquiry means we need to look outside of ourselves. What does that mean? We are in admission to saying we don't have the answers. I don't know. What's going to happen six months from now? I don't know. So we have an inquiry. The answer is not in me. So I need to inquire. And who do I inquire of? I inquire of the Lord. So yes, it's a thousand yards away, but let's make that trek. So they make that trek. And once Moses goes into the tent of meeting, you see presence. You can see this amazing sight. Once Moses goes in, a pillar of cloud just comes down from the heavens. So you can see, you can imagine, we have movies now that can animate things and use our imagination. But you can imagine a swirl of clouds and just coming down like a tornado. Maybe even with all the elements of weather just coming down and residing right in front of that tent. And Moses is there. But God is there. You see... The Bible is showing us something. When we meet, when we gather, this is a precursor to God showing us when we gather, he will be here. He will be among us. He is here. He is among us. But that's the thing. God is here right now. Do you believe it? When we, even if we have the elements of worship, when we sing, when we do the confessional, when we do the creed, confession of sins, God is there among us. The presence of God is here. So God, when we need something, he just doesn't say, okay, here it is, and goes away. Our God is different. 
when we need something, he himself comes, which is amazing. What other God does it? I mean, does anybody really do it? If someone comes up to me for, let's say, $20, I'll be like, here's $20. But God says, okay, here I am. It's like, what, what kind of answer is that? I, I wanted $20. What do you mean, here I am? God, by doing this, is showing us that it is he that we need. We need God, not $20. Um, I've never seen this in my life because it is a record. The Powerball is now at, no one won, in case you didn't know. No one won. It was like $900 million or something like that. No one won. So now the Powerball is at $1.3 billion. And that's not in the millions anymore, it's billion. No one's running out. But yeah, it's $1.3 billion. And I've always thought that this lotto system is brilliant. It's genius. If you want to keep the poor poor, this is brilliant scheme. If you want to keep people from ever making a buck, put the lotto in your state. And they did, and it's brilliant. Who's not going to buy a ticket when it's $1.3 billion? I think it's genius. Because I could first, this is how it happens. Even just how they market and how it develops, brilliant. So what they do is, we could bring, uh, let's say we bring a small child, doesn't know any better. Hey, I want you to do something ridiculous. I want you to, you know, I'm going to throw a piece of cake on the floor. I want you to eat that cake off the floor. It's like, no, why would I do that? Here, I'll, I'll, give, it, I'll give you a dollar if you eat that cake off the floor. It's like, no, I'm not. Okay, I'll give you two dollars. It's like, no. So I'll give you ten dollars. It's like, no. But we keep the kid there, and we keep on going up. I'll give you twenty dollars. I'll give you fifty dollars. Fifty dollars to eat the cake off the floor? Okay. Yeah, I'll eat the cake off the floor. Like, who, I, I, maybe ask some of you guys to do it for fifty dollars. But if I went to the kid right away, and, they, and he sees, like, that cake is nasty. There are, like, maggots in it or whatever. And I'll like, give you 50 bucks. They're like, no, I don't need it. It's fine. And then walk away. I didn't need 50 bucks. But if I start going $1 and dangling your face, $200 million, $500 million, $900, billion. I'll dangle it in your face. Man, they got you. And that's why I think they're brilliant. Because what is actually happening is in this system, we see that $1.3 billion is actually not that much. But it is a lot to perhaps someone who's trying to make a buck to go throughout the week. I looked it up. If you want to eliminate poverty in America, we need $175.3 billion according to 2012. So if you want to eliminate poverty 2012, so it's probably something similar, maybe a little higher or somewhere around there, $175.3 billion if you wanted to eliminate poverty in America. In America, if you want to eliminate it. Um, by contrast, I want to show you that we spend $700 billion in the military. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying by contrast, we, we're spending $700 billion in the military. This is annually. And... We just need $175.3 billion just to eliminate, get everybody above the poverty level. 
I'm not saying, you know, we, we're going to give them Rolls Royces or Benzes. Just so that they're above the poverty level that year so they can eat. They have a place to stay. So they have clothes on their back just to get it up right to that level. I think what we are seeing here is that what we don't see is the magnanimity of just what is happening when we put in money into the lotto. Last year alone, I forgot which state, uh, made $88 billion last year alone on lotto sales. People are pouring money in there. And if you heard Pastor Richard's thing, I won't repeat it again, but guess who's pouring the money into the lotto? It's not the rich, folks. It's the poor. If you are poor, you are most likely to play the lotto. In the 2011 paper in the Journal of Gambling Studies, it says poor, the poor are still the leading patron of the lottery and even people who are made to feel poor buy lotteries. This is what it means. When you buy a lottery, it's not just because you're poor, but you think you're poor. Don't you get it? It's not just a scheme of a socioeconomic class, but it's also a scheme that shows you and tries to convince you you don't have enough. You are poor. You don't get it. Here, buy this lotto so you can dream big. Makes you think you're poor. A 2012 study in the Yale University finds that the receipt of a scratch lottery tickets as gifts during childhood or adolescence was associated with risky, problematic gambling and with gambling-related attitudes, behaviors, and views suggesting greater gambling acceptability. Even when people see it or you see it as a gift, it starts changing your attitude, starts changing your mind. So now here we are. We're in this point. We're in this community. We have our needs. I'm like, God. $1.3 billion for Pilgrim would be pretty nice. I'm going to do it for you, God. I don't know. Some people might think like that. But here's what it is. Oh, with the money, I'm going to help my community. You don't know me. If I get this lot of win, I would help the people that need it the most. My family, my friends, my community. I would even tie to the church, Pastor Eugene. You know what 10% of $1.3 billion dollars is, it's like, yeah, it's 130, anyway, but <laughs> they would say that, and I got to tell you something, the Israelites just wanted something, maybe it was $1.3 billion, but they just wanted this, we just want water, why can't we have water, and he started grumbling, I just want this, I just want um, music to sound like this on Sunday, I want some people to stand up here and sound like this on Sunday. I want people to do this for me on Sunday. And the grumbling grew. And guess what? These little things are not little things to you anymore. They're huge things. But here's the ironic part. You think money is going to solve all your problems, or most of it, at least 99 of them. You think... That money is going to give you so much more benefit in your life. You know what happened before the Israelites left Egypt? Did you read that account? 
The Bible says they plundered Egypt. They plundered. The word plunder is like, I'm in war. I plunder this town. That means I rip this town of all its resources and I take everything that they own. And Egypt was rich, if not the richest country in the world at the time. They were at the top of the food chain. And it says the Israelites plundered the Egyptians. Everybody gave them all their gold articles of clothing. They had everything. But did it satisfy them? The answer is no. You will not be satisfied even if you have all the gold in Egypt. The finest clothes in the world, the top of the food chain will give you the best. You will not be satisfied. Because we were made to be satisfied by God. God is the one that satisfies you. And he is here, don't you see? That's amazing. $1.3 billion, it's a lie. They're trying to fool you into thinking you'll be happy, but you won't. But God gives us what we needed the most. He gave us his presence. He said, I am here. You need this? Okay, I'm here. And he's here now. What is it that you want? God will provide. He will provide for it. He will provide for our church. He will provide for every single one of your needs. Because God is good. But he is here to give us his presence. Moses says after, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He is saying, it's your going with us that makes us different. God, don't leave. Stay. Go with us. This is your church. This is your community. This is your country. So stay with us. Go with us. Don't leave. So he's begging God. So when God comes, and he comes down in the pillar of clouds, you see this amazing thing happen. People get up out of their tents, and they watch this amazing scene unfold before their eyes. They see it unfold. In front of their tents. So what happens? They bow down and they worship. We're doing a worship series. And this is the first part of it. Worship isn't always translated worship. It's not the same word in Hebrew and in Greek. But this time, worship means bowing down in submission. I submit to God. I submit to your will. I submit to you. That's what was happening. Bad things can happen when we gather. It's true. But God gives us his presence. And when the presence of God comes, we worship him. The interesting part about this is that people all stood in the front of their tents. I thought that was really interesting. Why would you go out and stand in front of your tent to see God's presence? You have to go outside you have to go outside you have to put yourself out there take a chance in that sense but you have to put out your heart to the lord the lord is coming the lord is here you have to take out your heart True biblical worship so satisfies our total personality that we don't have to shop around for man-made 
substitutes. This is what we call idols. And this is what William Temple said about worship. For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and of all this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centered, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. So I said before, worship is humble submission. Then what are we humbly submitting to? We are humbly submitting to his will. We too easily start worshiping creation rather than the creator. When I would go around giving... uh, youth sermons or retreat or a revival, I had this one example. I love my mom's uh, rice pudding. It's not, as, it's not the same. I think she makes it a little different. She has like, she makes it like into, she has rolls of like cinnamon and sugar on top. And then there's a rice pudding. I don't know. It's just rice pudding, I guess. But it's amazing. I loved it. I'd be like, mom, can I have rice pudding? So every, every once in a while, I would want rice pudding. I was like, I love this rice pudding. It's so good. I go to a restaurant, eat the rice pudding, and it's like, this is literally crap compared to my mom's rice pudding. It tastes terrible. So now if I eat rice pudding, it's just like, this is crap because my mom's rice pudding is so good, but I miss it, so I'm going to eat this. But imagine, imagine the absurdity if I said, rice pudding, you are so great. All I need is you, rice pudding. And I sing songs. All I need is rice pudding, right? I sing songs like this. Imagine the absurdity of that. And I start worshiping the rice pudding. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We're not supposed to worship the rice pudding. We're supposed to appreciate the rice pudding. How do we appreciate the rice pudding? By giving thanks to the person that made it. I go to my mom and be like, Mom, your rice pudding, it's the best. So here we are worshiping the creation, worshiping money, thinking that's all we need. But don't you see it's absurd when the creator comes and says, I could give you everything you need, but here I am. So we stand in the front of our tents and Jesus comes again and he says this. Take this picture. Stand in front of your tents. Put yourself out there. And he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Don't you see the invitation that the Moses and Israelites never got? We got through Jesus Christ. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. And if you open the door, you receive the fullness of God. The creator has come to join you in communion and to be with you. To spend life with you. To give you anything you need. Yeah. But there's something even greater than that. It's God. He himself is coming down. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. And they with me. And we give worship to God because... He is so good. When we see his presence, all we could do is prostrate ourselves down and give humble submission to him. We are a people that's just like that. 
And I was wondering, why are we people that just need to worship something? Because if we're not going to worship God, we're definitely going to worship rice pudding. That's just who we are. We need to worship something. There's a guy named LeJohn Brames that we just love, right? We love him. Why do people give him such acclaim? Why do give people give him such praise? Why do we love him? Why do we say he's the, like the best? Isn't it because once you worship something, there is a connection, whether he knows it or not. When you start giving a claim to something, you get this connection. We are a people made to connect, and we connect through worship. And when we start worshiping something other than the creator, we're saying our deepest, our most gratifying connection is with this. And that is why we feel so empty. That is why we feel so betrayed. That is why we feel like we have been duped. Because we've been giving all our acclaim to the rice pudding of our lives. It's ridiculous, yes, but don't you see, we have been doing that. We're saying, all I need is to get married. All I need right now is to get this job. All I need right now, is that so bad, God? Is that so bad? But all I need is this. And I want to connect with that because I think that's going to make me whole. God says, no. I'm going to make you whole. You need to connect with me. And that is why we give God worship. When you start worshiping God, you see that your life is never the same again. Everything turns around. And you see, wow, this is what I was meant for. I was made to worship God. It's just natural in me. When I see an amazing thing, it just comes out of me, doesn't it? When I see an amazing super 720 degree dunk off of the free throw line, whatever it is, you just just lose it because it's just an instinctive reaction. But imagine God coming into your life. That's an instinctive reaction. And God is saying, let me come into your life. I'm not going to force it on you. Let me come into your life. So that's why Jesus says, here I stand. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Open the door for Jesus. He's going to come in and you'll be whole. God wants to give you more than just the things of the world. He will give that to you, but he wants to give you him. Let's pray. Let's just take this moment to reflect on the passage and what we learned today. And if there is something else that you have been maybe even subconsciously worshiping, putting your hopes and trust in, that is why we have a time of repentance. That is why we say we're going to turn from these things and go back to the true source, the true creator, the true good king. And so we turn back to you now, God. And won't you turn to him in your prayers and in your heart? And won't you hear Jesus Christ knocking on the door of your heart? Open the door to him. Let him in. And let him have communion with you. And you with him. Let's pray.